0: What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into this week's Demo Day. I'm your host, Sean Goldman, CEO of Coefficient Labs. And on today's show, we'll be interviewing Jeff Cantalupo, the founder and managing partner at Listen Ventures. As an entrepreneur and investor, Jeff has used his passion for building brands to help innovative entrepreneurs build their own since founding Listen in 2010. At Listen, Jeff has invested in over 20 early stage startups, including consumer breakouts Calm, recently valued at $2 billion, and Factor, which was acquired by HelloFresh. Jeff currently serves on the board of directors at Codeverse, Field & Farmers, and Miss Grass, among others. And on today's show, we cover the importance of sales skills for VCs and founders diversifying your team's area of expertise and some of the parallels between a marketing team and a venture capital fund. Without further ado, let's jump into Demo Day. Jeff, thank you so much for kicking off Demo Day with us today. Thanks for having me, Sean. So Jeff, I always love, you know, talking to VCs around the areas of their you know, of their day-to-day jobs and, and really, you know, around the startup ecosystem, what exactly is it about being a venture capitalist that you're so passionate about? And I think, you know, you have such a unique story and such a different background compared to many of the VCs we've had on the show. So I think just to get us kicked off, just talking a little bit about like why you love the world of venture and startups in general um, before starting to unpackage sort of how we got here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably a cliched answer, but um, you know, it's it's to work with entrepreneurs and and the people. Uh, you know, when you, when your job is to meet people that um, believe the world should operate a bit differently, um, it's a contagious profession in the sense of kind of squinting your eyes to to think about what it what it can be and what the brand that they're about to to try to create can 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 be if it reaches its potential. So. You know that's probably my favorite part, just meeting all the different folks that are that are coming out of the woodwork with with new ideas and new ways to think about experiences.
0: Now, you know, as I was alluding to a minute ago, you don't really have uh, what you would call a traditional finance background. you You really started by you know building your career in the advertising, marketing, branding world. Um but before that, going you know all the way back to the beginning, can you talk to us a little bit more about, you know, where'd you grow up? What was childhood like for you? And, and I'd love to learn sort of what the early days were like for you, Jeff.
1: Sure. I, um, so going way back, I I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, Western, Western Burbs, Elmhurst, Oakbrook area, went to school, um, uh, you know, uh, 12 years of uh, Catholic school. So, um, you know, kind of played a lot of sports, um, pretty traditional upbringing from that perspective. Um, and you know, was, was through osmosis probably exposed to business and brand, um, just by, by means of my family. My, my father was a 30 year, um, uh, career executive at McDonald's corporation, which is obviously headquartered in, in Chicagoland area. And, you know, it's, uh, I think one of the best global brand stories in in the history of our world and you know when you think about uh, mcdonald's you you kind of no matter where you come into contact with that brand globally it's it's the same experience and so um i think just being around that world growing up as a kid um, i got exposure to what it was like um, inside a, a global multinational business that was really operated with a brand lens and so I think you know. In hindsight, I, I probably picked up a lot of that um, um, interest, and in, you know, went went on to to university and studied economics, um, and really loved kind of marketing underneath the business kind of minor that I had, and that led to an internship in advertising, and ultimately a career for the first ten years out, outside of college at Leo Burnett where I was exposed to kind of, you know, managing and, and working on uh, kind of Fortune 50 brands, if you will. And so um, all along the way, just really found myself kind of captivated by the stories of how brands came to be and how business was, was built by communicating with consumers and, and getting people to believe in a story. And so that's, that's really what I, I would say would be the background that led me to eventually venture um, albeit through a very brand and consumer oriented lens.
0: Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting and sort of like how your worlds have blended together is, you know, now, especially over the last two years, it feels like venture capital is going through this new, almost like paradigm where they have to market and advertise themselves. And, and like the VC has become so much more of a service oriented business. I'm curious, like what sort of takeaways that you sort of, you know, had with you back when you were in the agency world that you've since carried with you now that you've become a venture and you know, whether it's in helping your portfolio companies or even just for marketing your own brand.
1: You know, it's interesting. I get I get asked that question a lot, which is like, what what do you miss about advertising? What have you taken with you? And what I think is really interesting is I think there's a there's a significant amount of parallels. To the world of advertising and marketing um, that exists in the world of venture capital, at least in the way that we operate venture capital. Um, The first is, you know, when you're, when you're in charge of developing advertising campaigns or marketing strategies for big brands, your, your job is to understand what consumers um, are going to find culturally relevant and, you know, take, take that understanding and that insight and developing to campaign and communication strategy that resonates. Um, and I think similarly, when you're kind of, your job is to identify consumer entrepreneurs and teams that are going to build the next great consumer brand, your job is again, to understand culture and consumer insights to, to determine whether or not, you know, the the brand that they're about to build is is going to resonate on that level and and be able to how to you know create a narrative and culture that's going to matter, and so you know at least from where I sit, a lot of what I did before is is transferable in terms of identifying entrepreneurs to back, and then specifically how do we help those companies, which is applying a lot of the skill set I learned in terms of you know how do you how do you build your brand and culture, and how do you how do you you know resonate with an audience, how do you make your audience consume more of your brand than just your product. And so those those are types of things that we really try to roll up our sleeves and help our portfolio on.
0: I've also heard, I believe it was on a recent episode even, that one of the transferable skills that uh, oftentimes people don't associate with finance or venture roles is like the need to be a good salesperson. And I think that, you know, going from a branding agency or, or an ad agency where you have to sell your ideas and you know, convince people that they should be going with you. Um, it seems as though, like, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you could just use like a brand name. Like if you weren't on Sand Hill Road or if you weren't a top-tier VC, um, you kind of like got looked past because you didn't have that brand name. Whereas, you know, in today's environment, I think that there's a lot more selling that needs to be done because stars have so much more. Um, Opportunity. Have you learned anything about yourself when it comes to sales, or have you found that prevalent in your own journey of raising a fund or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I I think sales is a huge part of of trying to build anything. Uh, It's no different for us building our own firm. You know, we have to we have to raise capital just like the entrepreneurs. So I think, you know, hopefully through the, the the funds we've raised, I've I've earned some additional empathy for the founders that sit across the table uh, and, and are pitching us. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's one of the traits we actually look for in entrepreneurs, which is the ability to make people believe. Mm. Um, and I think to, to build a great business and build a great brand, that's, that's really your, your core function, right? You have to, you have to convince first and foremost, the people that want to come build it with you to believe in the vision and the mission. And, and you then have to convince consumers to come along for the ride. And then you also have to convince, Hopefully, some investors to to believe that you can build a big business around that, and so um, being being able to make people believe um, what you want to go do is important is a, is a critical skill no matter what you're trying to build, and I think it's it's equally critical for us to make make the entrepreneur believe that we're the right partner.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially when you know, you guys have such a unique thesis at at listen around choosing, being very particular and very intentional about the the teams that you're investing in. To to my recollection from our first conversation, I believe you guys only do somewhere between like three and five investments per year, whereas some other funds that maybe have the same under management would do double or triple or, or quadruple. And I think that, you know, based on some of the investments, like I know Calm is one of the big investments that you guys have been really excited about, but a lot of these companies are really changing. You know, they're like industry changing companies and they're they're really making a big impact. So uh, it makes me just think about, you know, kind of like the young days of you seeing your dad at McDonald's. And like, I could imagine with each startup that like comes in in front of you, you're trying to think like, does this have the ability to be the next McDonald's, right? Like, is this the thing that's gonna be multi- Multinational. I, uh, when it comes to this approach, I, I, I think you know again. Listen has such a an interesting way of thinking about investing. Could you talk to us a little bit more about you know why you guys have decided to go for a much more laser approach than for let's just call it spray and pray or or things along that nature.
1: Yeah, sure. So it's a very intentional decision on on our part in terms of. Um, maintaining a concentrated model in our portfolio construction. So in each fund, we invest between kind of 10 and 15 companies, um, which on average over the last 10 years has resulted in about three to four investments per year. Um, and the first, the first, I would say, reason we made that intentional decision is that in addition to our capital, we, we like to think of ourselves as capability investors. And so- we have an investment team, but we also have a, a brand platform team that, you know, has experts in consumer insights, brand strategy, creative strategy, customer acquisition, and we work really, really closely with a lot of our companies to help take them to the next inflection point and fills fill holes around the table of the founding team that might not be filled when we invest. And so we, we like to think of ourselves as very partnership driven, and in order to deliver capital plus capability model um it's very hard to do if you have 30 investments a year right and how do you how do you actually spend that time and and invest the, the amount of time and energy you're going to need to add value so if we're going to pitch ourselves as a value add venture firm um, we better show up and and deliver the goods and so that that's why the intentional decision around less companies um the other thing i would say that contributes to our thesis at least in in our in our categories that we operate in is that in tr- traditional venture, that's all software-based per se, right? A lot of software industries are going to be winner take all. And, you know, venture capital plays uh, in, in kind of a power law strategy in consumer. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, mm-hmm. Most markets are not winner take at all. And in a lot of cases, competition is healthy for the industry and, and for the overall growth of of a new category development. Um, And it's really about making sure that you have fundamental, you know, unit economic models that make sense. And you're building into a consumer that um, finds what you're providing them attractive, and you can continue to deliver value to them over time. And so, you know, we believe you can operate a concentrated portfolio strategy in venture, um, specifically in consumer, if you're if you're really disciplined on the types of companies, the types of operating models, the types of you know capital efficiency models that you're you're trying to invest against.
0: Well, I would even I would add to that with you guys too, which is you know not only have you built the right sort of models to make sure the inputs are the right inputs, but I love how you guys have built your platform that once they become an investment, they actually are going through, somewhat of an onboarding and they're getting introduced to the different platform teammates. And it sounds like you guys are not just focused on making, you know, very small, limited, intentional bets, but you're also trying to figure out how to bring these teams through some sort of a program that helps them, uh, you know, go to the next level. So just for, for anyone that is listening, you know, what is it like for you know uh uh, working with listen i I think that so many different vcs have different approaches whether it's bringing in office space or giving you know mentorship or office hours but um you know do you want to talk a little bit about sort of this onboarding strategy um that that plays a role in in your guys overall you know growth plan
1: sure i the let me start with the fact that at listen we kind of think of ourselves as, as we're all investors and we're all brand builders and so you know, we, we very explicitly have a team made up of people from different expertise and different backgrounds that fit three areas that we think are critical to be good at identifying good consumer investments and then adding value once you make those investments. And those areas are, you know, quantitative expert, right? Like you got to be able to understand the unit economic models, the market sizing, structuring of deals and traditional venture capital I would say backgrounds that that are going to be important to, to building a good firm. The second is qualitative expertise. So folks around the table that really understand human behavior and understand categorical behavior and and culture in a way that you know keeps our ear to the ground to understand what what brands should be building into. And then the last one is creative expertise. You know, we have a we had we have a head of creative and a head of design at listen and you know those folks just add a completely different lens to the investment decision process as we're evaluating companies um, and determining investment decisions and then to go to your to your question directly once we make an investment we we kind of have a process to onboard our companies into the listen portfolio and introduce them not only to to our team and where we can help but also to the other companies in our portfolio. And so they can share best practices and knowledge and tap someone that maybe is a little bit further along than their business. And so, um, you know, we're pretty intentional about what that onboarding process looks like. And it's really about identifying, you know where we can be as helpful as possible. Um, Not every company is at the same stage. Not every company has the same challenges but most consumer businesses are going to need to attack the funnel somewhere. And we have, you know, the experience to help them attack the different parts of the funnel that we can be helpful on. So whether that's top of the funnel, content um, awareness, or whether that's community building and really thinking about, you know, how you're you're making sure that there's advocates around your business, um, or whether that's, you know, conversion strategies and 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 new kind of um, new growth channels and so we we kind of try to help identify where in the trajectory of the business today we can be most helpful and over time we implement a process that we call sprints where we can kind of roll up our sleeves and you know deep dive on something whether it be hey a packaging redesign or you know a um, uh, a checkout cart redesign um, and any of the above we, we try to really try to prepare our team to be good at helping to attack problems and provide opportunities.
0: One of the things that you and I talked about uh, on our last call together was just around the traits that you look for in founders that you invest in. And there was one particular trait that just was so important to you. And um, you know, the, the way that I remember you talking about it was around this concept of deep obsession around customer. And it was like, it was a very palpable thing you were talking about. Tell us a little bit more about why that's so important to you. You know, I, I know it even plays into the name of the actual fund itself, but, um, you know, talk to us a little bit more about why that particular trait is so important and why, you know, maybe founders that don't spend that much time thinking about that is a problem for you.
1: Yeah, and the short answer is that consumers are in control, and if you're not listening and understanding everything that the consumers is, is is communicating to you, then you're never going to build an experience that they love and and feel like they're a part of. Um, so, you know, what we look for are you know entrepreneurs that have a deep understanding or a deep kind of insight against the consumer group and and a user group that. Um, is either a pain point that they're trying to solve or a future that 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 group wants to see exist. And I think um, in a lot of cases, our, our founders are you know starting businesses stemming from something that they've experienced themselves that they thought could be done better um, or a world in which they, they want to see for their kids, for instance. And so um, there's there's often an association between them being the customer at some point in their past, um, of the category that they're trying to go solve for. And so, um, you know, just, just having a deep appreciation for the touch points and the feedback loops that are gonna be required for you to continue to innovate and keep the customer voice at the table.
0: And then when it comes to sort of the qualities or the traits and founders that tend to, to be red flags for you. I could understand if you were, you know, asking about either customer feedback loops, or if you're trying to understand and the founders didn't have clear answers, that would obviously be a red flag. Are there any other red flags for you that tend to, you know, just uh, be your sort of ticket to say like, I'm not going to invest in this founder or this company, anything that, that people should be more aware of?
1: Um, I think everyone's got their pet peeves. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, if I have to give you one example, I would say that, it, and that's not to, to mean that you can't build a business this way, but I I personally get turned off when, you know, I ask why you start the business and the founder goes on to say, well, I looked at, you know, every category that hasn't had a D2C, you, know, yeah. you know, challenger brand. And I picked this one because it's got the highest AOV. And I know in three years, I'm going to exit to so-and-so. And, that, that doesn't mean that that entrepreneur might not be successful in that endeavor um, but it doesn't communicate to me the the kind of um, deep passion that I believe is needed to create a brand that matters um, and and you know is gonna go beyond trying to get to an exit in three years and so um, that's that's just a personal pet peeve of mine
0: I and I, I I would imagine you know to your point there's probably some people that are able to succeed but I'm sure you could Correlate many failures in startups because of the fact that the founder wasn't connected to the problem they were solving, and and I'm sure that obviously affects the VCs that are investing in those in those companies. Um, as far as the right sort of makeup for Listen and the right sort of company, I know you guys are very you know focused, but uh, you know having investments in companies like Calm and Catchco and and maybe a couple others that you'd like to name, you know who is the right sort of startup to be working with listen and, and for founders that are tuning in, how do they know that you're the right fit for them?
1: So um, it's a great question. I would say, you know, we, we're not categorically uh, focused, meaning that we don't just invest in food and beverage or just health and wellness. I would say that we thematically um, look for opportunities where there's some sort of a, a tension or a cultural shift or a cultural movement Um, And there's an opportunity to build a brand against that movement um, and kind of lead it. And so, um, you know, that's typically what we're trying to identify. And, you know, we're, we have an internal process where we're, you know, articulating those thematics that we're interested in. But um, oftentimes we see a company that maybe wouldn't have been born out of that thematic, but has a lot of underpinnings of what we're seeing in, in another thematic. And we get really excited about how they're approaching a certain category differently. and So for us, it's very much about um, marrying kind of the business model or product innovation with a cultural narrative opportunity. Um, and when you, when you combine those two things, I think um, you see, you see the opportunity to build great brands.
0: Jeff, I know that like one of the areas that you guys have obviously invested a lot into is calm and the, the mental health space in general. I, I feel like that, just category is really blowing up right now. Are there any other verticals or categories or industries that you happen to just be personally really excited about right now?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, if you double click on, on the evolution of that, you know, we, we were fortunate to have met the founders of Calm back in the early days in 2012. And, you know, the, as a brand investor, when you, when you see the conviction of, of those founders pitch you that they're going to build the Nike for the mind right? Like you you squint your eyes and you believe that somebody needs to build that business. And, and, you know, thankfully they're, they're well on their way to doing that. I think what that's also taught us is what, what else is going to happen now that consumers are focusing more on mental health and wellness more holistically. And so, you know, we, we've taken those insights and we've continued to look at the market and that's led us down a path that started to look at the therapy space, right? And what is, what is the reinvention of therapy look like? What is the democratization of therapy look like? What are the business models that might be interesting around that? So spent a significant time uh, around that space, which also led us to look at even consumer products in a different way, which is, you know, what products are therapeutic? What, mm-hmm. what experiences are therapeutic? And so, um, you know, I, th- I, I use that as an example because Along the way, we've made investments off of that same kind of thematic interest in consumer behavior shift, albeit not directly in the same vein, um, the way that Calm was solving it. So a good example is we invested uh, a couple of years ago in a a brand called Slumberkins, which, you know, on the the face of it looks like a cuddly creature, you know, consumer product company for kids. Um, And that's what they are. They're these amazing cuddly creatures but they're creatures with intention and the the idea behind the brand is really about teaching social emotional wellness to kids at the youngest ages um and helping them understand and identify their emotions and and recognize uh what it's like to to kind of go through life managing emotions and i think um that's an offshoot but it's in a critically important time in a child's life to learn about um you know, emotions and, and what it's like to be mindful.
0: Jeff, I want to take us back to like the culmination of, of listen and, and sort of like how your path, you know, led to the, you know, got, got us to where we are. Um, you know, when you transitioned from a kind of advertising world into this, this venture, you know, uh, position of yours, when you think about the future of listen and, and where you guys want to go, you know, do you envision it still being kind of slow and steady two to three investments a year, you know, for, for the life of, of you guys, or do you think at some point um, like even you guys will start growing and getting bigger, or is, I know that it's always been very intentional. I'm, I'm curious. Is that the, is that the game plan or at least for now?
1: I mean, I, the game plan is, plan for now, at least is to continue doing what we're, what we've been good at um and continue to double down on kind of what we know um so i don't i don't ever see a world where listen is not investing in consumer businesses i think um you know where we invest in the cycle in terms of the size or the maturity of the company may shift i think if if you know if i had to really think about in the shorter term where we might go i don't think it would be to chase you know massive funds Um, because I think consumer, you have to be very mindful about the probabilistic outcomes of most Mm -hmm. consumer businesses when you're thinking about portfolio construction. And, you know, once you get up to kind of 500, 600, $750 million funds, um, your, your outcomes probabilistically are really tough to come by if you're only investing in consumer businesses. And so, you know, we're, we're very diligent in the way that we'll grow our AUM. And I think it'll be more about, um, you know, figuring out how we offer the right capital stack mm-hmm. to consumer businesses, um, and so we we think a lot about what our companies need and where Listen can fill those gaps.
0: Now, you've talked about Jeff. You talked about Calm, and and I know in our last call you'd mentioned Catchco. Are there any other portfolio companies right now that you just are super excited about and and want to give a special shout out to?
1: Oh, it's like picking a picking a favorite <laughs> child. This um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, our, our latest investment is uh, we just recently announced an investment in a company called Dame, which is a sexual wellness brand um, out of New York founded by a woman named um, Alex and she is a force. And, and that is, you know, trying to really bring to light um, it, what sexual wellness should be, and why, you know, focusing on sexual wellness is important for overall wellness. Um, and she's done an incredible job at building a community and and content around her mission to pl- to close the pleasure gap and um, a great great brand and product portfolio with that. And so, um, super excited about how she's a how she's approaching that category. From both a product innovation as well as a consumer brand narrative perspective, um, you know, and uh, some others, you know, just to mention Catchco, right here, here's a company kind of reinventing what it means to to purchase fishing gear and what it means to be an angler and what it means to consume content in today's new media landscape as, as a as a big passionate angling fan. And so, um, you know, what they've built as a, from an ecosystem perspective is. Really exciting, um, you know. We we had a exit at the end of last year of another company that um, we were investors in for a long time that helped build kind of fresh prepared meals in a company called Factor, which we sold to HelloFresh. And you know that business was very representative of you know I think the the movement and the trend of just people being a lot more acutely aware of what what ingredients we're putting in our body and how eating fresher foods is is going to be. Um, important for overall health and wellness. And so um, I'm sure you can see a little bit of a thematic yeah. trend, there. but um, you know, we're, we're excited about a lot of our portfolio companies. So it's hard, to, hard to just pick one.
0: For sure. Let me ask you this, like when you meet a founder that you refer to as like a force, you know, amazing person, something about them. It's just, they've got that, that thing that, that uh, you know, they, they just have it. What is their Achilles heel? Like what's the thing when you meet them that they can't get out of their own way. Uh, have you noticed any patterns when you meet the, a force that, that tends to potentially be a blind spot for them?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always um, things you got to be mindful of in terms of the way in which you approach kind of that passion and channel it. Right. And so sometimes I think um and I think all startup founders have this capability, which I like to call shiny object syndrome, right? Which is, you know, there there's a lot to go do. So let's try to do it all. And, you know, when you try to do everything, it's very hard to do anything very well. And so, um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's about prioritization and really thinking through the go-to-market and portfolio expansion and what the right decisions are to be made. But I would say that, you know, when you meet, when you meet founder market fit the the benefits far outweigh any types of achilles heels that that may exist and that's because the passion determination and just ability to kind of go lead a narrative and and you know kind of authentically stand for what you want your brand to become um is you can, you can't replace that you can't manufacture that
0: And I would imagine that's probably going back to the beginning of like, you know, when you say, what are you most excited about? And it's the people I would imagine that when you meet those sorts of people, you being able to help them with that Achilles heel of like either introducing them or helping them think through blind spots. It's probably part of the overall passion, like just to be in the the game with them is is part of the excitement.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, right? And I think that's that's full circle on what what I love to do, which is meet these folks and 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 two, like try to be helpful, right? Like part of being helpful sometimes is just getting out of the way <laughs> um, yeah. and you know, letting letting them go after what they've already started to create and that snowball that's already moving down the hill. And um, you know, we 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 love to find founders that are passionately trying to change perceptions. And I think when you look at a lot of our portfolio, there, there, there's a lot of brands that are being built against tensions in culture um, or stigmas. Um, and when you have stigma, there's opportunity to change perception with brand. That's awesome.
0: Uh, Jeff, last question I have around fundraising or, or at least for, for startups looking to get funding from Listen, about what stage I, I know that you guys fit somewhere between seed and series a, but right now, uh, with the way that names are getting thrown around, it's pretty tough. So as far as like, what's a, what's a typical check size that would make sense for a company to be, you know, thinking of you guys.
1: Yeah. I, Sean, I only, I say we're early stage investors because I, you know, I, the letters
0: on the wrong way, you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: the, the, the letters don't mean a lot anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, when you have serious, you know, seed, seed rounds that are $8 million. You know, $20, $20 million seed rounds, right? Um, but we're early stage investors. We are convicted investors. We um, typically lead deals and our, you know, our check size and our current fund is going to be anywhere from kind of one and a half million on the low end up to up to 4 million on the, on the high end.
0: Cool. Um, awesome, Jeff. I I have got two last questions. The first one is around. Uh, I always ask everyone around books, um, or courses, or I, I think you and I may have even spoken briefly about it. But if there if there's any um book at all, or or anything that you have taken away, could even be like a movie or something. But uh, I, I always like to ask if there have been any books that have been like really impactful, and if the answer is yes, I would love to share that with uh, the audience. Um, so any, anything top of mind for you?
1: I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. So, um, anything I, Malcolm, I'd say outliers is probably one of my favorites, um, uh, for a number of reasons. And then as it relates to kind of innovation and in startups, um, a book called abundance, um, yeah. written by Peter Diamandis, who, you know, has an incredible resume himself, but, um, a, the way that he articulated a, a future that we could be living in, and then utilized data to, to prove a pathway in which we could hopefully get there too, I think it was just a very refreshingly optimistic view on, on the future when you live in a world of sound bites that is all about um, the world ending and pessimism and, you know, yeah. polarized world. So,
0: all right, abundance. I'm going to pick it up. Uh, Jeff, you're the man. Thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Uh, for anyone that wants to get in contact with you or wants to potentially, you know, look you guys up for investment, what's the best way to connect?
1: Just uh, um, our website, listen.co. Um, you can connect with us on all the socials, obviously. <laughs> at listen.co is, mo- is our handle on most of them. And myself is just uh, Jeff at listen.co.
0: Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Really appreciate you. John, it's been great. Appreciate you having me. Awesome. For everyone listening from home, I'm Sean Goldbatten from Coefficient Labs. This is Demo Day. Thanks, guys. Peace.